Hi, everyone. Welcome to June 25th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. The first draft of Colorado's new congressional districts has been released by the Redistricting Commission. As the map stands today, Republicans should be happiest with three seats safely with the GOP and one with a slight GOP advantage. The key change to the current map is creating a new district in the north part of the Denver metro area. Patty Cahoon, as always, we start with you. This is just the first map. Tweaking and changes are going to happen. But from what we've seen so far, what were your initial reactions? Sadness, of course, that Weld County is still part of the state, that they just didn't give it to Wyoming, which which is what they want. Uh, it, a good backup would have been to do a flagpole annexation, not unlike what Denver did for DIA, that links it with down with El Paso County, which seems is pretty much unchanged. It's a fascinating exercise to try to figure out how do you deal with the population growth, the political affiliations, especially with the political affiliations that are unaffiliated. So that's such a swing factor. When you try to get the different kinds of demographics, the different ethnic backgrounds, the different financial backgrounds, it's just a really, really tough project. This looks really interesting. I like how they redefined two, you know, three, that you've got the west and the east separated now. Um, Weld County will get to balance San, the San Luis Valley, which seems fair, but this is only the first of many, many drafts. But to pull out the northern suburbs into this area seemed pretty smart. It won't last, but it seemed smart, and it does divide up counties, which is tough. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, David, uh, Dick Wadhams, uh, Republican strategist and former party chair, state party chair, uh, said he was pleased so far. And again, we know this is draft one. A lot of things can change. But is the uh, overall satisfaction from some GOP officials uh, justified? Well, there are plenty of other Republicans who are complaining about it quite bitterly. So maybe there's actually nobody who's really happiest about the whole thing, which may be a sign that the commission, which is brand new, created by the people by constitutional amendment in in 2018, is off to a a good start. It, It makes sense that the Western Slope District in also include the, the central mountain uh, counties like the, the the ski counties that that's a they're more have more in common with west slope than with other places it's sensible that pueblo which used to be part of the western slope district is now moved to the eastern plains district the the san luis valley you could make arguments for either on in either direction um, but for because the law requires uh, equality in, in the size of populations in the districts, it makes sense that it, it had to go to the, the eastern plains. Some people have been talking about the fact that the Ed Perlmutter district, which is basically the, the western suburbs of Denver and some of the southwestern ones, is less democratic than it was before. And that is true, but it's still got a democratic edge. And it's going to be a democratic district as long as Ed Perlmutter wants, wants to. If you had a, a toss-up election with brand new people Maybe that district could go either way. But the, the Perlmutter family was so integral to, to building that, that district over, over generations. They you know, they, they know so many people. Uh, he is uh, an impregnable Democratic fortress, I, I think, um, in his district. That's a good point, David. Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist, also the uh, author of the Denver Newsletter. Uh, Natasha, we're gonna, we have a brand new part of the program that we're incorporating. More questions from you, our viewers, into the Friday program. We had a question from Chris from Gunnison. Will redistricting really matter in 2022 at the state level? Uh, it incorporates a, a lot of different angles to this. What's, what's your take on that and from the news we heard this week? 
Yeah, well, it's a great question because I think with any of these changes, you want to think about how it's going to affect your, affect your life. Um, you know, we're starting with this conversation of the broad stroke sort of on a statewide level, but then this is going to filter down to every, um, you know, every smaller state house uh, district, but also down to the municipal level as well. We'll see the changes in the city council um, and in various parts of the state. So, yes, it's going to have an impact. You know, for me, as an editor and as a journalist, I've, I've written a lot of first drafts and I've edited a lot of first draft. Sometimes you get them in and you're like, this, this is a good start. We know where we're going. Sometimes you, you know you really have to go back to the drawing board. I think there are plenty of people on both sides of that sort of uh, idea right now. But in truth, you know, this is just really a start of a public input. And I think that's going to be really what's interesting and different about this redistricting than in pa- than, than the past. You know, unaffiliated voters, which we've talked about already, they're such a huge part of the state. But one of the narratives we have to change is that it's a third and a third and a third. It is not anymore. Looking at the latest Secretary of State registrations, we're up to 42% of Coloradans are unaffiliated. I've spent a lot of time over my career trying to figure out what exactly that means, trying to find trends. Plenty of other reporters have as well, and the answer is it's really hard to plan. So that's what we're going to find out. A few areas that I'm going to spend time looking at are Pueblo, Colorado Springs, Boulder County, and then just in general, the Western Slope. I think that all of those communities are going to have a lot to say in the next few months. That's a good point. And join us for her very first time in Colorado Inside Out, Reagan Bird, from uh, the founder of Reagan Bird Consulting. Reagan, it's great to have you on the program. What were your initial reactions to the maps that came out this week? Yeah, I think my reactions were similar to um, other folks uh, and their comments. So I'm really happy that we have independent commissions working on this. Um, I think it'll be remain. It, it remains to be seen um, how effective and how um, fair we feel like this redistricting process is. Um, but I'm mainly, um, I'm mainly interested in, in, in kind of the public policy around how elections can be decided just through redistricting and administrative procedures on how these voting districts are decided. So I'm just really interested in, in seeing how effectively an independent um, redistricting effort is going to be. Uh, that was my main concern. Um, and then also, yeah, the role that um, more independent affiliation is going to play um, and um, people choosing what uh, primaries they want to vote in and being able to select, do you want to do you want to vote in the Democratic or Republican primaries as an independent? I think all of that is really interesting. Um, Colorado has a lot of unique um, history r- around um, uh, voter access, voter registration, mail-in ballots. And so I'm just really curious about how all of these things are going to come together in our next couple of election cycles to see how well all of these mechanisms are working together. It's a good point. Uh, it's a good point. Uh, primary season is going to be more interesting than ever uh, here in Colorado. Let's get to our next point. Uh, shootings in Old Town, Arvada uh, made headlines this week, left a police officer and a shooter and a civilian who intervened dead. Sources confirmed on Thursday that the civilian was shot by an Arvada police officer. David, we're still getting details, so we have to go with what we know so far. We don't know all of it. But uh, from what we found out about the friendly, this tragic friendly fire incident, do you feel this is something that is an anomaly or something that probably points to the need for more training? Well, I think it's something we'll have less of in the future, well, as I'll explain. Um, one of the witnesses uh, who watched Johnny Hurley save those, those lives uh, saw him when, when Hurley heard the gunshots and said he did not hesitate. He didn't stand there and think about it. He totally heard the gunfire, went to the door, saw the shooter, and immediately ran in that direction. And uh, as our Vada police chief said, he was a true hero who likely disrupted what could have been a larger loss of life. 
One of the Arvada detectives said he came to the Old Town area in the middle of a shooting and prevented any further injury. So he gave his life to save other people. And anybody who intervenes in, in a chaotic situation like that, they're knowingly putting their, their life at risk, either being killed by the criminal or, as sometimes happens to police officers or good Samaritans like Mr. Hurley, uh, you may get accidentally killed by, by friendly fire. Um, this mass shooting, attempted mass shooting, won't be a national story because there weren't enough fatalities for it. Although, of course, it's, it's a big Colorado story. And the same thing with the attack uh, years ago on the New Life Church in Colorado Springs, where Genia Assam was the volunteer security guard there who stopped the mass killer when he entered the building and was wanted to go into the sanctuary where there were hundreds of people who could have been killed. She stopped him and, and saved all their lives. Because of the bill that Governor Polis signed on Saturday, those kinds of incidents are going to become rarer in Colorado as he's going to allow massive bans on licensed defensive carry. So we'll be more like California, where the criminal can kill for minute after minute after minute until somebody finally stops him. And then those stories will make the national news because of the high death count. Natasha, I don't know if as a community we're getting numb to it or as a nation we're getting numb to it, but it, it's something where the, some of the details come out, but it, it, it just feels like more and more of these stories, whether it be from our bad or anybody else, it, the, the, the shock value is gone. It's like, oh, that, that's tragic and terrible, but here, here's the next place where you can send donations to help whomever and who, who's the hero we're honoring that passed away here. Uh, I don't know what that says, but I don't have absolutely any solution, but that was one of the things I took away from this week. When you heard this news, what are some of the things that you took away? I think I would echo everything that you just said, I mean, particularly in the state where we've had to deal with so many of these tragedies. And then you put that on top of a, a country, a state, you know, just areas that we're coming out of a pandemic where we've lost so many lives and haven't really had time to grieve that process. So you bring these these events into that collective grief, grief that we're all living through right now. And I don't I don't know where, where we, we go from here. I just know that it's another week on Colorado Inside Out and we're having another conversation about gun violence. For me, one of the things that was striking this week, and I don't know why this week and not another week, was looking at um, the, the the images, right? We always get the images of victims, and we see them in a different moment in their life. They're connected with this tragic, horrible thing that happens to them, and then the, the face that sort of lives on in our virtual world is them in a different moment of happiness, and you sort of look at their clothing, you look at what, you know, do they have a t-shirt on, or something that tells me something about them. When we read those stories and we hear about those victims, um, I just know that I also hope someday I don't have to see those photos in that context, that I don't have to hear those profiles of yet another victim of gun violence. Reagan, as we uh, turn to you, this is, uh, the Arvada story was the headline this week, but this has been hitting a variety of communities. It's not about one particular neighborhood. It's not one particular group of folks. It's Arvada, it's Aurora, it's Denver, uh, it's, it's Boulder, uh, it's everywhere. Um, what were some of the reactions you had as you saw the various headlines this week? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, uh, I am an anti-oppression trainer and activist and speaker. So a lot of the ways I look on uh, so look at some of these broader societal issues, whether we're facing them in Colorado, um, in talking about that specifically or talking about it nationally, um, I tend to really think of sociologically and philosophically, what is the root of some of these problems? How do we transform why gun violence is such a major issue in the United States? Um, so there's there's an under discussed there are many under discussed elements about this. 
um, you know, toxic masculinity, about um, men being socialized in terms of violence or violent behavior. The majority of these shooters are men, and we need to talk about why the violence is very gendered in terms of the perpetuators. We need to talk about gun laws, obviously. Um, we need to talk about how a lot of gun violence it comes in the result of suicide. And we also need to talk about um, um, just in general what is leading to some of these decisions that people are making and how do we, you know, we always throw out mental health care and some other things um, that are potential uh, additional root causes of gun violence. But I think, you know, Colorado is no different than any other state in, in the United States right now um, on how to address this issue and what are the root causes of this and what can we do in terms of public policy, in terms of mental health, and in terms of a broader societal discussion about the gendered nature of a lot of this violence, um, that's kind of what my take on, is it um, is on Colorado. And I'm happy that we've passed things like red flag laws and stuff like that to try to address um, um, some of these things more uh, more holistically. Patty, with this, I, I remember the summer of violence in 93. And while that was terrible and tragic, I also know in my head, geographically, it, you kind of said, okay, well, th this is where it's might a little bit dangerous, or this group of people, gang members, things like that. Now, you're talking about Old Town Arvada, middle of Boulder, middle of Aurora, middle of Denver, wherever it's at. It, it's not that way anymore. It's, it's, it, it could be wherever. Uh, is that going to change how the public feels that the public policy reactions should be, that now it's a, a state issue or even broader? It certainly is going to affect people some ways because you think about Old Town Arvada, for example, which had been very aggressive in trying to fight the pandemic, keep people coming to the area, blocked off the streets, made a kind of a block party, really worked hard to keep the community together during the pandemic. And of course, this tears apart the fabric of the community so quickly because people wonder, if I can't go to that quaint street of shops with outdoor cafes, if I can't go sh shop at my local supermarket, what's still safe? I mean, your odds are still pretty good. They're better than if you get in your car probably at night. Um, but you still, what is still safe? What's amazing about this one is how little we know. We're still waiting to find out about the shooter in Boulder and really what might have been behind it. But here we know there was a letter that was found in the shooter's home that was anti-cop. We don't know what about it was anti-cop. That'll certainly help us a lot, try to figure out are, were there ways this could have been prevented. Um, with the death of Hurley, were there ways that training could have prevented that. We don't know really what happened with Officer Beasley. So, but I, by all accounts, we know he was a very good officer. The stories that people tell about how he worked in the school are heartbreaking. So basically all we know is this has been another heartbreaking challenge. And I disagree. I think people are still shocked every time this happens. It just unfortunately disappears so quickly in the next story of a high rise falling down in Miami. Colorado's tax code will see some significant changes now that Governor Polis has signed four different new bills aimed at revamping Colorado's taxing systems. The changes include elimination of pro personal property tax for many small businesses, doubling the earned income tax credit, and the end of taxes on Social Security benefits. Uh, Natasha, it, it says here the script that you and the priest talked about, you're going to go through each and every change of the tax code so people can understand it. It's a very, you know, I'm just teasing. Um, for, are these some big changes that law? 
lot of, that's going to impact a lot of Coloradans. Well, I'm glad you picked a really light topic, you know, to sort of follow <laughs> that up. Um, no, I'm not going to go through all those specifics, but I will say that, uh, you know, whenever we have text changes in the state, there's wonderful local reporters who go through and give breakdowns of this. In particular, many media outlets did it um, recently, but Colorado Public Radio has this sort of breaks it down. If you make more than this amount, if you have a child, sort of, and so if people have questions about that, I would, I would direct them to this in general. I think that these changes aren't too much of a surprise with um, Democrats in, in control and the way that they were. This was certainly on their checklist, and they, they came through um, on some of those promises in, in this session. Um, the property tax one is interesting. It's something we talked about a few weeks ago. That is something we're going to keep talking about because of that potential ballot initiative. What's interesting to me is it was confusing as that last-minute bill sort of came through. It's confusing now that they'll continue to gather signatures, knowing there might be a discrepancy which w- with the language that would be in the initiative and um, the, the bill that pa- was passed. And then if voters did pass it, it would be confusing and potentially go to the courts. It just, just makes me wonder if it might be time to take a step back and say, we're in the middle of the maze. What's our right direction to move right now? Um, so certainly we'll spend some more time talking through those potential exit and moves um, through that maze in the coming months. Reagan, we go to you. It looks like this is attempting to help out a lot of different communities in different ways. What were some of the takeaways you took from the signing of these bills this week? Um, I'm definitely um, happy that this is designed to give some relief to small businesses and individuals that were hit by the pandemic. Um, my initial reaction is this is kind of surface level reform, and we're not getting to the elephant in the room, which is Tabor, uh, Taxpayer Bill of Rights and our inability to retain revenue as a state and to make adjustments um, regardless of which way the economy is going, that's still going to be the major change that we need. And it's going to have to be a statewide discussion about what getting rid of that looks like and what actually having us be more responsive to economic changes in Colorado is going to look like. So I and a number of progressives, we continue to talk about Tabor because a lot of the public doesn't know what effect it has on state revenue and state programming. And I think that's the bigger elephant in the room that these did not address. So I think it's helpful, but I think it's also um, kind of surface level changes and not getting to the root of the issue. Patty, uh, tax code is never a topic of fun, lively conversation, but it affects a lot of different people. And Coloradans, I mean, referencing uh, what Reagan said there, we've been talking about and voting on taxes for now over 25 years, thanks to Tabor. So uh, what do you think the general reaction to all these changes is going to be? Confusion. But who isn't astounded that a, a year ago we were thinking the, the economy of this state was going to be in the toilet. We would not be able to do anything. Think about tax cuts now and that we're actually fairly flush. It's astonishing how well Colorado has come back in some ways. But we have there are going to be many laws of unintended consequences here. We saw it when we got rid of the Gallagher Amendment and people were suddenly very surprised that what do you know? Their property taxes still went up. So this is going to take a lot of discussion, education, and people will still be confused in the end. Uh, Dave, there's a lot of viewpoints on, on Tabor, on tax code in Colorado, but there's also some potential legal challenges here. I figured nothing's really over just because a governor signs a bill. I've, if I've learned one thing from Colorado Inside Out the last uh, 29 seasons is that nothing's over until it's over. Uh, do you think any of these bills are destined for legal battles? No, because uh, the col- the Constitution doesn't apply in uh, the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights doesn't apply in Colorado. Um, 
This grew out of something called a, a tax study group that Governor Polis put together in 2020 to work on his campaign promise to do something that would close loopholes, simplify the tax code, and balance that with a revenue-neutral tax cut. So the tax code would be simpler and fairer, uh, um, and net revenues would stay the same. In that tax study group, we talked about a lot of things, and, and some of the tax changes, like things I supported, like uh, changing some insurance tax laws, which will, will increase revenue, ended up in this bill. But this bill is very far away from that revenue-neutral idea. It takes away uh, tax deductions that were available for families some of the tax deductions for families contributing to college savings accounts for their kids. It expands uh, a program that not only for some people, not only refunds the taxes they paid, but gives them money back that they never paid. So that's not really a tax cut. That's, just, that's more of an expanded welfare spending program. On net, it raises, ta raises taxes by tens of millions of dollars. The Taxpayers' Bill of Rights in Colorado says when you have a tax policy change that results in net government revenues, like $60 million or more, that's something for the voters to vote on. But like much of the rest of the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights and much of the rest of our state constitution, it's been nullified by the Supreme Court. So there is a great legal case if the Constitution applied in Colorado, but it doesn't, so don't expect a case. Certainly not the last thing we'll talk about it here. I want to get a quick take around the table. Like I mentioned earlier, we've been asking our viewers, and we'll continue to do so to provide their own questions. We had such a great time addressing viewer questions in our live viewer special, we decided to make it a tradition. So you can email cio at pbs12.org for your chance to have your questions answered. The quick one around the table for right now that we've heard is... We would like to hear from each of uh, each of your uh, panelists if the one-party rule in Colorado in the Colorado legislature and the pushing through of legislation by the Democrats will backfire in future elections. Reagan, we'll start with you on your quick take on our viewer question. Um, um, I, I guess I'm not sure yet. Um, I would say that. Um, it remains to be seen about like what effect this might have and the perception of of kind of democratic control over over um, over legislation or how especially when we talked about some of these other dynamics in terms of voters how voters are feeling about about the two party system in general but how they're going to feel about um, how this law is going to impact them um, I mean how this uh, how this uh, policy is going to impact them. So I guess I don't have a strong opinion about it yet. It's kind of one of those things that I'm waiting to see about how this actually affects legislative operations. Um, so yeah, so that's my take on it. Uh, Patty, your uh, quick take on the viewer question about one party rule and potential backfire. In the past, I think it definitely has had more of an effect than it might this time because it's going to be outside forces in a lot of ways that will determine how the election goes in 2022 and whether or not we still have one party ruling. David, your take on the viewer question. Well, the viewers, well, I think, hoped for backlash uh, didn't, in the long run, take place in California. And you can see what that led to. An oligarchy of big business, big government, taxing people to the max uh, and impoverishing them. The, one of the worst poverty rates in the country. One of the worst public school systems in the, in the country. And California is the model that the Colorado left emulates. And they've gone a long way in Californicating Colorado. 
Natasha, wrap it up for us, your answer to our viewer question. Well, I think it's important to, to not assume that just because one party is in control that they all agree on the same thing because they don't. And we saw plenty of examples of that, certainly in the last session. I think we're going to continue to see more than that of that. And, and voters will ultimately decide, are people providing the, what they said that they would provide? Are they doing what they want on the environment, on criminal justice, and so on? So it's not quite as simple as one or the other. It's time for a very favorite part of the show, but we need to be quick. Time to do Disgrace of the Week. As always, Patty, please start us off. Another law of unintended consequences. Back in 2019, in order to get salary parity equity, we have the equal pay, equal work, equal pay um, thing, uh, law coming out of the legislature. What happened, though, is now you have to name salaries. So national companies are no longer trying to hire remote workers in Colorado because they don't want to put what the pay is. We're the only state in the country that has to do that. David. The administration of President Biden, like the, Obide, like the Biden-Obama administration before, has been fighting wars all over the world. And to their credit, uh, they've never discussed the use of nuclear weapons in those wars. Uh, but now President Biden has said that if Americans ever tried resisting a hypothetical federal tyranny, uh, the federal government would use nuclear weapons against them. Natasha, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. Because the topic really deserves as much attention, I'm going to echo what Patty said. Um, people should really look at why Colorado passed that law, what impact it could have on taking away from the wide wage gap that we have, and, and see, um, see if it could apply to other states instead. Reagan, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. <laughs> Um, I, I am also interested in anti-fascist topics. Like, so I think it's interesting that there's a national conversation about what is uh, government overreach. And so I think if, if uh, rather than Antifa being an insult in a lot of public discourse, let's have some real conversations about how we can prevent um, our government and our government systems from becoming, um, as they are, um, uh, undemocratic, um, oligarchy, uh, and um, and prevent the emergence of kind of um, uh, lesser democratic institutions like the suppression of votes and things like that. Um, I want to have a national conversation about that. And so that's something that potentially liberals and conservatives should be able to actually get on the same page with. And so, um, so I want to echo that thought earlier about I'm concerned with a lot of decisions and the way government is operating nowadays. Let's have some collective conversations about that rather than having it on strict partisan lines. Time to say something nice about somebody. Bumper sticker edition. Patty. Marilyn McGinnity ending a great run at the Mercury Cafe and good successors. David. The Declaration of Independence, as President Coolidge said in its 150th anniversary, people who think that they can come up with something better than inalienable rights, equality, the right of the people to rule, they're not progressives. They're looking to something much more ancient and regressive. Natasha. All the Colorado athletes that are competing in Olympic trials right now, I can't wait to watch the games. And Regan, you're saying something nice. Um, local Colorado restaurants that are getting back in the business. So I want to shout out Wellen Street Cafe and Coffee on the Point and, um, and uh, a lot of different uh, black and brown owned businesses in Colorado. They're ramping up. They're getting uh, back um, in terms of the public. And so hope that we can also get out and support our local businesses and make sure that this uh, re-up on Colorado's economy is benefiting all of us. 
And a couple important uh, updates for all of you as we end tonight. First of all, next week, it is a holiday week, so we're taking the week off as we usually do to honor July 4th. And we'll be bringing you another great Time Machine Encore. This time we go way back, and we go back to uh, our 2009 uh, uh, Time Machine, which is about 1959, featuring our friend Raj Chohan right here in the ho- on the host chair, talking about the installation of a new highway, Interstate 70, right through the Swansea and Elyria neighborhoods. Imagine us talking about that that long ago. And also, as we end tonight, uh, this week marks the end of the very long and distinguished career of Kim Johnson here at PBS 12, our president and general manager. She has led this station for over 30 years uh, through thick and thin and been uh, the consummate kind of leader that I think everyone hopes to, at some point in their lives, to work for. She's always been the person who's put the station and its staff first, making sure that all of us can serve our mission and serve our community. Is this doing something better? You look back at our documentaries or just keeping this show around. The only reason this show is still here 29 years after it started is because of uh, leadership from Kim Johnson to make sure it was protected and supported. So we honor her career. Uh, We wish her well in the next chapter as she moves to New Mexico. And we just want to be sure she knows that we understand the kind of difference she's made to this station and through that station to our community. So thank you for your strong leadership. And on behalf of a grateful station and community, Kim, thank you. On behalf of everybody here at PBS 12 and Colorado Inside Out, I'm Dominic DeZuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.